Now, I know that Abraham's in the Old Testament, but there is reference to him in Hebrews. So we're going to hear what is said from verse 8 to 22. It's on page 222 at the back of the church Bibles. Most of the rustling stopped. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received power and procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren. Because he considered him faithful, who has promised, therefore from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and are as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on the earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They had been thinking of the land that they had left behind. They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire for a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who had received the promises was ready to offer up his only son, of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named after you. He considered the fact that God is able even to raise someone from the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, excuse me, and gave instructions about his burial. I wonder, I wonder what the words Father Abraham means to you. Go on then, hands up, who thought of the Smurfs first? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Kate, you were thinking? Sunday school, okay. Yeah, some would have gone to Father Abraham and the Smurfs, I know. Kate's already mentioned it. There was a chorus that some of us grew up with. Father Abraham has many sons. Hands up, who knows it? Great. Who knows the actions? You're not willing to say that, are you? All right, Katie put her hand up, so come on. Seriously. You're not going to do it alone. Yeah, and you're going to... Ah, you need to sing. 
Those of you who said they know it, I saw you. So I'm expecting you to sing. It's going to come up on the screen. Yeah, I'm going to turn the spots off. Wow, it will tell you what to do. So do you want to stand up and do this or do you want to stay sat down? Stand up? Yep. If you can, stand up. We should have done a health survey about this, Sue, because there could be some poking bodies. Right, over to you, Jake and Kate. I I think uh, Kate won the prize of being the um, clown. Uh, So Abraham had many sons, as you've just sung. But for a long time, he had none. So let's take a quick look at this. We find in Genesis 12, what my Bible calls the call of Abraham. Now the opening words, the Lord said to Abraham, go. Tells the reader that there is an established relationship between God and Abraham. There has been dialogue with both trust and mutual respect. Well, let's face it. If you're looking at Genesis 12, would you leave your creature comforts, your family and friends to start afresh? I guess only if God tells you. About 15 years ago, I was reading this passage when suddenly those words, the first few words in chapter 12, came in bold print. I've never had that experience since, but it was just as though we went from font size 12 to about 18. To me, that was a confirmation of the start of my ministry. This passage, but more so in chapter 15, is also known as God's covenant with Abraham. Abraham, sorry. For he states that what Abraham can expect if he does as God asks. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I'm really enjoying this blessing business. As a church, we seem to be on the brink of new blessings to those around us. And I can't wait to see its fruits. Our home group has just finished the Way of Blessings course. Kate and Steve's is about to start it. And I would encourage the other house groups or home groups to do it as well. So that we're all singing off the same hymn sheet. And we all will be able to bless our community in new and exciting ways. So Abraham went. We don't know if he put up a fight. And it would assume he did not. Because he just did as he was asked. He was 75 years old when he set forth for Canaan. However, upon arriving at Shechem... He found it occupied by the Canaanites. This promise God had offered him will have to wait. For this land is the first part of the promise upon which all the other parts depend upon. How would you feel having responded in faith and found out that when you arrived that there was somebody else there? Would you question your hearing? Was it really Shechem or was it really Shakram? So Abraham is left to wait for his blessings. But he doesn't wallow in sorrow as many would. No, he builds an altar and responds by worshipping the promise maker. 
and calling the Lord by name. If this was disappointment number one, he shows no resentment. But it doesn't get any better. In fact, a severe famine has hit the land. And as he enters Egypt, his human fears overcome him. And he tells his wife to say that she is really his sister, not his wife. And we read later that this is partly true, as she is his father's daughter, but not from his mother. Like many of us, when faced with situations beyond our control, we falter in our faith. We question, is it worth it? And we either grim and bear it or give up. In my role, I see both. Many here have gone through tough times, disappointments, loss, and yet you are still here. Thank you. Well, I can think of others who have chosen a different path and left. They've left the flock. I wonder if they know how much it hurts when people leave. It doesn't just affect me, but it affects us all. The visit to Egypt was wise. As Egypt's food supplies was usually in plenty due to the Nile's water supply. And one senses that little, if at all, livestock perished. As we read in chapter 13, that Abraham was very rich in livestock. However, there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham and of his nephew Lot. And we see Abraham's generosity and maturity in verse 8. Not only does he share his livestock with Lot, he offers Lot to choose where he would live. If you go to the left, I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And what Lot does is what, what most of us would do. Look for the greenest and fertile land. What was never meant for him has become his promised land. But God honours Abraham by letting him know what lies in store for him and his descendants. As an only child, I missed out on sibling rivalry. My mind goes towards that of family members quarrelling over toys or possessions, or perhaps even Easter eggs last week. Maybe you've had disagreements with a family member over something you both wanted. How willing were you to let the other person have the item or have his or her own way? I'm reminded quite often of a father-daughter discussion over what time she should return home by. But let me ask you a question here. What growth needs to be taken in your inner life to reach the spiritual maturity Abraham modelled when he let when he let Lot choose over the best land. You see, it's all about sacrifice and submission. My spiritual formation Bible has this to say: sacrifice, deliberately forsaking the security of satisfying our own needs with the resources in the faith and hope that God will sustain us. As for submission, subordination to the guidance of God within the Christian fellowship, 
a constant mutual subordination out of reference for Christ, which opens the way for particular subordination to those who are qualified to direct our efforts towards Christ-likeness and who then add the weight of their wise authority on the side of our willing spirit to help us do the things we would like to do and refrain from the things we don't want to do. How are we doing on this? How am I doing on this? In chapter 14, we see another side of Abraham. He's loyal, trustworthy, and brave in battle. It starts off in the days of King Amraphel, a time of conflict between kings and nations where Lot has been held hostage and Abraham, with his men, defeats and releases Lot as well as all the taken goods along with the women and the people. Well, he could have kept the plunder. He refuses to take advantage of the spoils of war, but rather receives recognition as one identified with God. He says to King Michaelit, and you and why is it when you think of words, you can't get to say them? Melchizedek. He says to King Melchizedek in verse 22, I have sworn to the Lord God most high, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours. We're now in chapter 15, where we see God confirming his covenant with Abraham. And Abraham, Abraham saying, what's the point of it all? If I have no heir to give it to, I have no son from Sarai, but I'll get one from a female slave. God attempts to reassure him that he will soon have a son. But after waiting 10 more years, Abraham senses his age and Sarah's will soon prevent him from having a son. So with Sarai's permission and their custom, Abraham sleeps with Hagar and Ishmael enters into the world. And they all live happily ever after. But no, this is not a fairy tale. Rivalry and jealousy enter between Hagar and Sarai. Hagar and Ishmael move away, but God also blesses them. At age 99, God speaks again to Abraham confirming his covenants and renaming him Abraham and his wife, Sarah. God confirms that Abraham will have a son. And Abraham laughs. Can a man of 99 have a child? But we know all things are possible with God. A little later, Sarah overhears that she will bear a son and she laughs, saying, after I have grown old, and my husband and old, shall I have pleasure? I like the next bit of dialogue. God hears her and says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And what follows is a bit of banter. I didn't laugh, said Sarah. To which God replies, oh yes, you did. Have you ever discovered it's not worth arguing with God? Has he ever asked you to do something 
and you'd fought and fought until you gave up? You see, if God asks you to do something, he's asked you especially to do it. And he wants you to do it. To bless somebody, of which you will get blessings too. And if you don't do it, you miss out on that blessing. But God will find someone else to replace you and bless that person. But if God asks you to do something, do it. What follows next is another interaction between God and Abraham. But this one is not about blessings or births, but rather curses and condemnation. Abraham argues over saving the righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a fascinating dialogue where God reflects theologically behind Abraham's back about the future of Sodom and Gomorrah, showing the wrath exhibited before the flood. God is positioning to destroy the cities. However, God also considers what Abraham would think given his influence in the world. Abraham intervenes, inquiring about the possibility of collateral damage. And God is ultimately swayed by Abraham's negotiation and influenced by his righteousness. If 50 are found righteous, would you save them? And he negotiates down to 10, but sadly, 10 were not found righteous. Despite his good qualities, Abraham again fears death, and Sarah is referred to as his sister. And despite her age, she must have been still incredibly attractive, for her good looks have attracted King Abimelech, and he takes her as his wife. But God appears to Abimelech in a dream, saying that he is about to, do, to, to, he is about to die, for the woman he has taken is a married woman, and he gets up early and confronts Abraham and says, Abraham says, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place and that they would kill me because of my wife. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when Abraham tries to take control of his own life, it seems he gets into trouble and how God continues to be faithful. You see, here lies a lesson for us all. When we attempt to operate outside of God's kingdom, outside of his will, we find ourselves in deep water. Only now we're about to hear of the birth of Isaac. Hands up who knows what the word Isaac means. One, two, Isaac means laughter. And you can sense that God knew all along and he has the last laugh because it was him who said to Abraham and Sarah, call him Isaac. Abraham is now 100 years old and Sarah is 90. And to celebrate it, a certain incision is made, one of which every male Jew has at eight days, and it's a painful one. But we now jump forward a few years and see Abraham's faith tested to the limit. 
Take your son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. Now you might not know this, but historically, child sacrifice was common among the Canaanites and surrounding cultures. However, the tradition of the people of Israel proclaims the Lord God is fixed on saving the children of God and abolishing pagan child sacrifice. And yet we find this test a mystery. For God not only creates a crisis for Abraham, God puts the fulfillment of his own promise at risk. No reason is given. And Abraham doesn't ask for one. In a sense, there is no concern for human emotion. God calls, and trusting Abraham announces his readiness three times, ever faithful to the inscrutable demand of God, who both tests and provides. This child, Isaac, was pure gift, beyond, born beyond the time of human possibility. The unfolding of the future is a gift as well. Abraham learns, and so must we, that life with God is an ongoing journey that demands both fearful and grateful response. Abraham's obedience here is born out of a deep trust in God who calls new futures into being. Yes, the ways of God are mysterious, yet God remains faithful. So the God who tests will be the same God who graciously provides. Sarah lives to 127 years and was buried in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. It's interesting to read that this is now the only piece of land that Abraham owns, a piece of land, and it's going to be a burial plot. Isaac marries Rebecca who soon steps up to the role of mother in the ongoing story of the family of faith. Abraham marries Ketula, who provides him with six more sons and probably daughters too, but daughters were not recorded. Abraham lives to 175 years and was buried by his first two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, in the cave he purchased and is placed next to his wife, Sarah. But looking at his character, we clearly see that Abraham submitted to God, firstly following God's request to move to a new land, and having waited so long to have a son, willingly offered him as a sacrifice in obedience to God. Abraham's descendants, the nation Israel, would not always imitate him, but they would use him repeatedly as a compass to find their way each time they strayed. All who look to Abraham as their father can learn from the pattern of submission and sacrifice that has made his faith, faith possible. His willingness to sacrifice his belongings, his relationships, his security, and even his child allowed God 
the room to act in his life. As for us, Abraham's story reminds us that faith must involve more than hoping for the best of of times of uncertainty. Faith often brings on uncertainty through acts of submission to God. Faith means taking a voluntary step from the known into the unknown as one follows God's leading. And faith often requires a voluntary giving away of persons, positions, possessions in response to God's nudging. It can involve great, even heart-rendering sacrifice. And with each sacrifice that Abraham endured, it resulted in richer blessings. On Friday morning, I received a WhatsApp from a friend in India, the same one who sent me that amazing letter to the Sri Lanka murderers. And I close with this. A raindrop from the sky, if caught by clean hands, is pure enough for drinking. If it falls into the gutter, its value drops so much that it can't even be used for washing feet. If it falls on a lotus leaf, it shines like a pearl. And finally, if it falls on an oyster, it becomes a pearl. The drop is the same, but its existence and worth depends on whom it is associated with. So this morning, always be associated with people of good heart and you will receive your own inner transformation. Amen.